Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Um, I'm Sally, one of the volunteers with Philia, and I'm really excited today, um, on the day that it's been announced, to be joined by the new domestic abuse, or designate domestic abuse commissioner, Nicole Jacobs. Thank you, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm a huge admirer of Philia and all that you do, so really happy to to do this. Thank you. And perhaps we should do a little disclosure to start with. (laughs) The reason we're able to nab you so swiftly is I work for a a fabulous organisation called Standing Together and um, you have until very, very recently been the Chief Executive of Standing Together. Yes, so we're very good friends listeners, yes. So um, thinking more widely, so this is a designated domestic abuse commissioner. Um, perhaps you could just talk a little bit about your background and uh, some of the, the things that you've been involved in that's led you to think actually this is an exciting place that I'd like to be mm-hmm. involved with. Well, I've basically worked, I've worked all of my working life in domestic abuse in some fashion or another. So um, you can tell from my accent, I'm from the US. And so right out of, really in, in my last years at university, did internships at rape crisis Um, and that really shaped my views of what I wanted to do with my day-to-day life you know and I did some traveling and some work in Latin America but very quickly came back to the US um, and started working at a state coalition against domestic abuse Um, so in the in the US each state has an entity that represents all of the programs so I, I think the most similar would be like women's aid here um, and after a few years, really wanted to move to London for personal reasons and um, found my way to Standing Together, which was a very new initiative. Um, and it was kind of just being talked about. It was in the late 1990s, so 1998. Um, and Standing Together was just getting started in this notion of wanting to create a coordinated community response. So there were some leaders in Hammersmith and Fulham who were very unique in that they were pretty visionary, fairly senior, and also from lots of different walks of life. And they came together and created an entity to really hold them to account about how much they wanted the systems to change and um, services to change. And one of the very first things they did is they set up an advocacy, what we would call an IDVA service now, Independent Domestic Violence Advisory Service. It wasn't called that then, it was just called an advocacy service. And one of the first things I did was work there for a couple of years and then it's standing together for another couple of years. And then to make kind of a long story of my, you know, I'm getting older now, long story short, I've worked in several other organizations that are national organizations or service delivery and domestic abuse, um, but came back to Standing Together about six years ago to be the chief executive because I am a true believer in the coordinated community response. So essentially my view is, you know, we need to fight for specialist services and they need to be very much at the center of things as survivors voices should be but we need to expect a lot more from our any range of service that should be you know in the environment where they could be helping identifying early 
appropriately supporting um, people subject to domestic abuse. And that's exactly what I know you do, Sally, so we're, but we're both, um, I'm preaching to the converted with you. But um, that, that's, and that's really a huge driver as to why I wanted to take this role or try to get this role is that, um, you know, as it stands, the, the, the role is really about mapping of that practice. So it's where are the specialist services? Where are they not? Um, what about um, making the more, what we call good practice, a lot more common practice? So to me, it's kind of a lifelong journey of figuring out, well, where do you want to put your time and energy to really have a concrete effect? Um, so that's what... Yeah, 20 years and <laughs> two minutes, yeah. And I think, I'm thinking about the work that we do and uh, standing together, sadly we were involved with uh, chairing and hosting a, a lot of the mm-hmm. domestic homicide reviews, and, and they really pick up that point that you've just made, that mm-hmm. actually there might be a really good piece of work in one area of the country, that doesn't mean that that work and that knowledge is being shared somewhere else. Exactly, and, um, and we would have seen just last week, you know, an increase in domestic homicide, rates being reported on widely which is good we should all be aware that that's happening and you're right there's not enough um, you know there's a lot of effort in reviewing what lessons there are to be learned that you could argue are we really learning the lessons you know are we are we seeing to it that um, some of the lessons are really genuinely implemented um, and and it is the postcode lottery. We use the phrase a lot, I know, in our day-to-day work. But it is about being very clear. It's just not a similar um, case across the country. In Wales as well, Wales has better legislation, but I think the implementation arguments are the same. You know, we don't we don't have the same provision of service. Um, that we ought to have and also I, one of the things I really am motivated about this this role the commissioner's role is to help define what a, what is the breadth of service so we often read in the paper cuts to refuges or we need this or we you know but, but we should be really clear what's an adequate provision of service that includes prevention services for children, you know, something beyond crisis, you know, sometimes people call that step down or, you know, further support. You know, we, we need to have a higher ambition about what we should see in any one area. And, and one of the things I think today, it's it's been quite exciting in the office because yes. Twitter's <laughs> been going a bit bonkers. <laughs> But, you know, so tell me, you're made commissioner of, of such a huge and important area as domestic yes. abuse. What happens on that first day? What sort of a day have you had today? Yes, well, first of all, you wake up and you feel very intimidated. <laughs> if you have any sense, you feel super, super intimidated. Partly, um, you know, thoughts running through your mind are about, you know, reactions of people in the sector who you really, really respect, survivors, what will they, people people who've had, you know, experience of domestic abuse or subjected to domestic abuse, what do they feel um, when they hear something like this and will they feel kind of like, is that too removed from my day to day? So it's quite intimidating, but the oddity is... Um, you know, you kind of show up like I did this morning. My day was kind of listening first thing on the radio to this idea of, the, you know, hearing my name and the commissioner. 
um, seeing what people react to. So I was really pleased that some of our colleagues were saying, we want this commissioner to have more power. We want this commissioner to be able to work more because it was advertised at a part-time role. Of course, there'll be a whole office um, of, of the role. Um, people, Lots of people hopefully very soon working full-time. But it's it was good to hear those things um, in a lot of ways. And then I went off to a... Um, a round table at Downing Street and there were lots of cabinet ministers there and there were all the all of the, the commissioners so there's a children's commissioner there's a victims commissioner um, modern slavery commissioner and then there were you know people from the government made some announcements today related to sexual violence so an additional five million pounds for sexual violence services so there were a lot of stakeholders from rape crisis um, in various services for both men and women in sexual violence. Um, and then some of our colleagues from Women's Aid, I mean, they're all colleagues, but, you know, domestic abuse-related, kind of predominantly related um, services. So it was a great discussion. And what I think is interesting to reflect on is how much there's kind of a shared view and a real honesty in those discussions about what the problems are. But I think... Um, you know, it is about how do you implement, where is the, where is the adequate funding. Um, and some of those things do come up, you know, I think people would be a little bit heartened to hear the truth spoken to power in those settings. Um, and a, it, it does inspire you to think a lot of this, you know, it's like with anything, it's in the implementation, it's in the delivery. Um, and that's why I like the idea of the commissioner's office being very independent of government and really set up by government to hold government to account, though. And so I think it's it's important for the commissioner to be really, really clear on independence and, um, and those things. And there's some great, you know, Vera Baird is our victims commissioner. She's fiercely independent and she will be a great model, you know, and someone who I'll really want to work closely alongside, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think a lot of people will be aware over the last year, 18 months, we've had consultations and then yes. promises around the, the domestic abuse bill. Um, some concern yes. whether or not it was going to go ahead. Yes, um, yes. And now we've had some reassurance around that. But in some ways, it'd be interesting to know your thoughts about, so what do we mean that it's going ahead? Is it as it is? Will it look different? Uh, you know, can people still get involved around yes. what they feel is important? Yes, in fact, there's a real, you know, for anyone listening, it would be great to, you know, turn your attention very carefully to the next few weeks because what's essentially happened is um, the bill was tabled in Parliament in July after a huge amount of consultation over the past year. Um, and then with the prorogation of Parliament, it essentially died. It wasn't, it wasn't far enough in its process to be carried over. And so it, um, it fell, as the, I guess the term used. And, um, and then, amazingly, there was just a lot of lobbying of government, both sides of of the political aisle and also, you know, individuals, services, all sorts of people really lobbied the government about their outrage about that. And so um, Boris Johnson did something which was a little bit unusual and that he preempted the Queen's speech and he's, he's given an assurance that it's in there and that it'll be reintroduced, um, you know, mid-October. So I think 
you know, I think for anyone listening, all eyes should really be on that bill. You know, when it's reintroduced, is it reintroduced as it is? It still has some progress to make. You know, there's amendments people would like to add to the bill. Um, you know, for example, there's a lot of push within our sector to, to add amendments to the bill related to migrant women, um, women with no recourse to public funds. So it, the bill as it is is good to re-enter, but then we need to even improve it a bit further. There's a lot of debate to be had about what statutory duty should the local authority have about the breadth of services. So um, it's going to be a busy time. And certainly anyone listening should get in touch with their MP um, and make sure that they are really clear how much they want their MP to be supporting and um, making sure that this bill continues. So even though Parliament isn't currently sitting, that doesn't mean that people shouldn't be just as involved in exactly. writing, call, you know, yeah, speaking, because they may be back in the constituencies and easier to access now. That's they? such a good point, Sally. Like, actually, it would be better, in a way, to go ahead and contact now, um, because you're right, I think, in a way, they're in this odd lull. And um, and one of the things that you, I heard quite a few cabinet ministers say today in this roundtable is they're, they're all still constituency MPs. They all will have surgeries and they do hear about domestic abuse and violence against women and girls in their constituents. And that's in some ways possibly how they know best about what happens to people. And so I think it is a perfect time to get in touch and make sure that um, everyone's supporting the legislation. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously a huge chunk of the work mm. coming up and, and some of the things that are mentioned in, in the bill. But again, looking forward for you, what are the things that are kind of like at the top of your priority list? What are the things you want to start looking at early on? Yeah, so... One of the things, if I, if I were just blatantly honest about the bill, that it would give my office. So I'm a designate commissioner, which is a, I think is a bit odd in that you it kind of runs before the bill. So the idea is as the bill passes, I would essentially drop the term designate and just become the domestic abuse commissioner. And in the bill, that would give my office quite formal powers. So it would allow my office to... Um, seek information from public bodies and they would have 56 days to respond which is quite a significant power it would give me more formalized powers to scrutinize practice so there's some real teeth in there that um, that will be important it's one of many things in the bill that are important but it's just good to point that out that there's a reason why uh, for the office it's strengthened in the bill but for right now the the real um, focus, I think, is going to be this idea of mapping. So it may sound a little bit boring, but some of what we need to establish is where the services are um, for domestic abuse and to some extent wider issues related to violence against women and girls. Where are they not? Um, and I would say this because you and I are both real standing together, coordinated community response people, but what I want to map is also where is housing uh, involved and not involved in our our health trusts, mental health trusts, acute hospital trusts. There's all this kind of really great but patchy good work happening, and I think part of my role that that could be quite constructive is just mapping out where that is. Um, 
we at Standing Together have uh, coordinated for, for years and years specialist domestic violence courts or domestic abuse courts, and we know how that helps support um, people if there's a case proceeding through the criminal justice system. And so, yet we don't actually really know where the rest of those courts are anymore. And um, so that would be one thing. I, so I'd, uh, there's like in any direction, I'd love to just map and be really, really clear and have some consensus because uh, sometimes what happens is in our specialist services will differ in our views from what the government says is happening. So I think the role of the office that could be really constructive would be just to establish where are things happening, where are they not. And, um, and even without those formalized powers in the bill, I think there's a real ability to push um, entities to get, uh, get going on improvements that really need to be underway right now. And I think one of the other concerns across the sector is, and you, you've, you've talked about the, the mapping of processes as such, like what health's doing, what housing's doing, but also our, our specialist sectors. So we mentioned migrant women before, yes. but you know we have lost quite a lot of our specialist BME sectors. Yes. So will that be part of that mapping exercise Definitely, as definitely. Well? You know, and it, it's interesting, you know, I was getting um, quite a few questions on that in the last couple of days from journalists. And I was saying, obviously, you know, I have the, the utmost trust in the reports that some of our um, colleagues have put out in terms of cuts to services. Um, and I think to some degree what I would like to try to do is shine a light on that and really strengthen that argument. Um, one of the things that struck me just even this morning, sitting in this roundtable, there was a woman who... Um, was from the Manchester area and she was a survivor of sexual violence and she talked about how her, the, the, the entity that really helped her was this very small charity in her local area and I think it, it kind of missed, quite a few people missed this one comment she made which was this, the, the women in that charity who were using those services were fundraising themselves for the service. And it kind of, I think, went over some people's heads, but I mean, essentially what she's saying is that service is not adequately funded and that the people using the service are going out doing their own fundraising, which is all great. However, you know, they should have some core funding. And so many smaller charities are rooted in particular communities, very trusted. Um, and you know, I think it's kind of easy to think, oh, we could get some of these larger charities and come in and do this quite blanketed approach, but that's really not what works for people. You know, we need to really cherish and really invest in smaller um, smaller charities rooted in communities, and often that would be our BME specialist services, as, you know, as part and parcel of that. So I would definitely want to do that. Please be in touch, anyone <laughs> who's interested in that. <laughs> So I'm just kind of thinking in, in, in sort of wrapping up, we've got, you know, uh, the Philia conference just a few weeks ago, yes, yes. Uh, which we're really excited about. It would be, it's very cheeky of me to ask you on the spot, but it would be really great perhaps in a year's time to have you at Philia talking about your yes, first year. Yes, it would be amazing. <laughs> I'd be really honoured, of course. Yes, yes, yes.
fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that one of the things that's come across for me on Twitter today, which has been lovely, I mean, we as an organisation are so proud of you um, and so pleased that it's someone like you that's in the role. Um, but obviously we're biased. <laughs> but it's been really clear throughout the sector today um, how the sector is supportive of the appointment. Um, and I think, you know, what will be most helpful in the months going forward is that we have got someone who listens and puts survivors' voices first yes. um, and understands the, the nuances sometimes mm -hmm. um, around mm -hmm. domestic abuse. So we wish you every luck. Oh, thank you so and, much. I know you're absolutely going to, you know, absolutely the right woman for the job. You know, to just today, I was, um, I was in this Millbank studio going around to these different... Um, interviews, which is not something I'm used to doing, as you know, and I was very intimidated about it. But um, as I was, you know, there was a woman helping me with my microphone, and I ended up kind of being in and out of her studio a couple of times. And she said to me as we walked out about her own experience um, of domestic abuse and or her own being subject to domestic abuse um, and how it had affected her health and her long-term kind of um, health and I was just really grateful that she felt she could say that and it was very grounding so in the middle of all that you know if it, if I had forgotten temporarily it's not about me trust me that got me right back to the to the my feet on the ground because um, I just thought I hope in some ways that really helped her today realizing like there you know there is momentum and there are things moving forward and um, and it, I was just really thankful she was able to share that with me. So definitely feet on the ground, ready to get working. And thank you for the opportunity to just communicate to the network um, of Philia. And I, again, just love, love all of what you all are doing. And I know there's so many volunteers behind, um, uh, behind the efforts. So anything I can do to help ever, ever, ever? Oh, we got it on Please, tape. Please, you've got it on tape. <laughs> thank you very Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Bye bye.